Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of new comic books that have come out this very week. We review them. We give our unfiltered (laughs) Just try to filter us. Good luck. (laughs) It's never going to happen. And we're going to come out raw and hard on this first one. Uh, Don't, Don't say things like that. Yeah, but no, I'll say whatever I want. Uh, Homesick Pilots, number one from Image Comics, written by Dan Waters, art by Kayser, Kayser, Caesar, Wingard. I don't know. I probably should have checked that before we got on the air or anything like that. I think Casper Uh, is is, is Casper Wingard. Yeah. Uh, this is a new title, obviously, from Image Comics, uh, from two creators that, frankly, I don't think I've ever heard of. But this is, I wanted to put this up front because th- there's been a lot of hype on this. And this is a very big, in my opinion, bold debut that is well worth that hype. Uh, this focuses on an indie band, one member of who ends up in a haunted house, disappears. Weird things go on. Crazy things go on. And it almost feels like, to me, a spiritual descendant of, like, um, I I don't know, so many different things at the same time that it feels original. But the first things that came to mind are, like, Lock and Key a little bit, Paper Girls a little bit. Paper Girls, yeah. Yeah. And it's great. I was so happy with this book, and I'm so excited to see where it goes next. Did you guys feel the same way? Yeah, I agree completely. I, I thought this book was great. The art's really nice. And it really makes you f- – you really feel along with the characters, especially in the first third, that like the when you're young and you're like, let's let's go fuck around. Let's go like mess something up. Let's go like uh, that like rebellious vibe. You re- they do a good job of uh, of expressing that in a, in a fun way. And then it, it – it does a nice job also of being a horror story that also edges into comic book world. It's not just a horror story, and I really appreciated that. Yeah, I think this is really a fantastic first issue. Like, does a great job of getting us set up with who's who and what's going on, and then tells a really crazy story. Uh, I also really love the use of like the all black panels are really mm-hmm. great. Uh, just some really fantastic storytelling from a comic book perspective. Like, really, they really did a great, great job. I, I can't uh, recommend this comic enough. It's really interesting, and I cannot wait to see how this unfolds. Um, really, really impressive. There's a double page spread in the middle of the book that was laid out in a way that honestly, as a comic book reader, was kind of confusing for me. But once I realized what they were going for, I really appreciated and liked. 
where two different groups are coming to a haunted house at the same time, but coming from opposite ends of the house. So the way you read it is you follow one group and then they meet in the middle and then you follow the other group from the other side of the page. So one is going the way that we read in America. The other is going the way that, you know, you read Adame. Um, but it took me a second for my brain to adjust to that. But I thought yeah. it was such a smart, fascinating way of laying out the page. And that's what plays throughout the book is just these really top of mind choices that they're going for. Yeah. And it, it's just a book that feels very cool. Like they're, they're all musicians. They're, they seem like they're in cool bands. It feels like it's just a good, you want to hang out with them. They're wondering what they're doing. Will yeah. they give you a call? Justin, it's okay. You're cool, man. You don't have to, you know, just want to hang out with the cool kids all the time. You know? No, I'm just saying like, Hey nerds, I'm going to hang out with these cool <laughs> musicians. I'm out of here. Watch you uh, a nerd. Let's move on and talk about the opposite of a nerd, which is, we know, is a jock with Venom number 31 from Marvel, written by Dottie Cates, art by Ibn Coelho. Uh, this is picking right up off of the cliffhanger from King in Black number one, where Eddie Brock was thrown <laughs> off the top. Love the sounds of Coke being poured in the background. Uh, Sorry, I'm making, I'm making my, the last of my rum and coke here, so oh, apologies. Nice. Nice. No, it's okay. You've got to listen. You're Pete, cooking. it's, it's 10 a.m. What are you doing? <laughs> You're cooking breakfast for it. your kids. Uh, Venom number 31, Eddie Brock has been thrown off of a building, and this takes place during 32 seconds? 31 32 seconds. seconds. 32 yeah. seconds. Could have been 31 seconds. Could have matched the number of the book. Uh, where he is falling to the ground and various things are going on, uh, and he's thinking back on his life and the mistakes he'd made. Um, what do you think about this issue as a follow-up to King and Black number one in particular? Well, I I thought it was really very interesting. This kind of like the using this kind of free for all to tell a story uh, that's kind of insane and kind of I think fits what's going on. This is a very over the top kind of insane thing that's happening in this book. So I thought this was kind of an interesting way to kind of tell the story. Uh, the art's phenomenal. The action's very intense. Um, yeah, it's impressive how much store we get in as a person is falling to maybe their death. Uh, but the art, I cannot say, is just uh, how creepy and like weird and disgusting it is. It's just, it's really impressive the way they're doing it. Uh, yeah, I mean, especially after how big the first issue of this crossover was, um, with like so much happening, like I really like. This issue, despite the fact that it takes place in 32 seconds, really slows the action down. Um, and you, it's sort of like setting the table. Like we're meeting a lot of the players that are going to – that feel like they are going to be the core characters in this crossover. Um, Eddie Brock, obviously. Um, his son, Dylan. Um, Noel. And we really get in their heads um, as we are moving forward. So I appreciate this. And it's like one of those issues that's sort of just like a showpiece. Like it all takes place as this one uh, quick thing is happening. And the art's amazing. Yeah, it seems it seems like the sun's going to be a part of this somehow, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Maybe. Maybe yeah. a little bit. Well, uh, but let me, let, me just saying, say, let me just say from the last issue was a huge broad strokes you know, you saw as much of uh, of Dylan as you did of Captain America. So, like, I do think it, this issue is important to be like, yes, he Dylan is like the linchpin of this crossover. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, to your point, Justin, I think what's really nice about this is 
creating different tones. It could feel, since you're from, coming from the same writer, you could be getting big, bombastic King in Black and then big, bombastic Venom, but instead he's using them to, to hit two different storytelling modes to continue the same story, and uh, it's a very smart decision. Uh, let's yep. move on to talk about the comic book history of animation number one from IDW, written by Fred Van Lenty, art and letters by Ryan Dunlavey. Uh, we have talked to Fred and Ryan about many, many series that they have done, comic book history of comics, action philosophers, other things like that. They have been diving into specific histories forever, and this is no different. Um, just a reliable duo, and I say that in the best sense, that when you see comic book history of animation at the front, you see who's doing it, you know what you're getting, it's smart, it's funny, it's informative, but it's a yeah. good story at the same time. I just had a blast reading this, and it's so packed with information, it's a good value for readers as well. Yeah, I loved the kind of like you know, you've heard stories over the years, but this is really informative. The fact that there's like a spinning house that rotates with the sun, that was really cool to find out. Uh, I, yeah, this is really cool. Very nerdy in all the right ways. Um, the art does such a great job of like uh, uh, keeping things like action oriented and fun. So it's not just like facts, facts, facts. Like they do a good way using the storytelling to kind of keep things fun and light. So it's really impressive what they can accomplish. Yeah, to your point, Pete, they really do a great job of just selecting the um, facts, details, and just story points that they tell about these these historical figures. Uh, what I got really excited about is the animation studio that was like the, basically the first Hollywood studio in Midwood, Brooklyn. Like, I want to go drive out there and look around and be like, this is like the first Hollywood-style studio is like right sort of 20 minutes away from me. Like, that's awesome. Wow. Um, well, to that point, I think it's interesting the different things you can pick out. Like the thing that really drew me in was the story of Windsor McKay, who created Little Nemo and Slumberland, and how crucial he was to the development uh, of animation as an art form, which I feel like was one of those facts that maybe I had heard at some point and kind of ignored or not really uh, gotten stuck in my brain. And to hear it again in this way, and as part of the story that eventually leads up to Walt Disney, while not necessarily getting into Disney Studios, um, it's good. It just really draws a narrative line between these things, which is what the best history stories do, the best history lessons do. Uh, and this is one of them. Yeah, there's another, was, uh, there's another great panel where Walt Disney, who was sort of a dick. Um, all of his animators that he had crossed are flipping him off wearing Mickey ears that uh, yeah. will really resonate. I really, I was a huge fan of uh, Felix the Cat as a kid. And so that part where Felix is uh, pissing on an exec's desk really made me laugh. Yeah. Oh, You'll laugh so hard times. your heart will ache, uh, your sides will ache and your heart will go pitter-pat. Oh. Sweet Tooth Return, number two from DC Comics by Jeff Lemire. Uh, this is, as you can figure out for the title, the continuation, reverberation, whatever you want to call it, the, of the original title. Uh, well, I think uh, there's a lot of things going on here uh, with Sweet Tooth. We don't necessarily know the full story or exactly what is going on with this new Sweet Tooth, uh, but we find out a lot more about the world that he is in this issue, as well as potentially what's going on and how it maybe ties to the first series. Or maybe not. Feels like there's more swerves going on. This is just great 
to revisit again in this new way. It's eerie, it's weird, it's dark. I am loving this series. Yeah, this is a crazy issue. Um, I, we're slowly kind of learning more of what's going on. And uh, I really like this kind of new friend that we meet. Uh, I think this is a very interesting character. I'm excited to learn more. Uh, this is very exciting to be back in this world kind of in a fresh way. And uh, I really hate the creepy old church guy, but I'm excited to read more. This does a great job of like getting you pumped for the next issue. Yeah, I I agree. I'm curious how this is sort of gonna gonna roll out because it does feel like they're telling the same story in some ways, but in a just a total different mashed up iteration. So I'm curious, sort of what the what the point of that is. Why are we hitting these same characters again in the same way? Very much in the like it's happening again that sort of TV uh, trope. Um, so I'm curious what that will mean. And I just got to say, nobody draws, like, crusty old villainous dudes better than Jeff Lemire. Yeah. Yep. Next up, Scare and Hood, number two from IDW, story and art by Nick Roche, uh, colors by Chris O'Halloran. We had Nick Roche on the story, uh, on the story, on the live podcast a couple of weeks back. I really sure enjoyed the first issue of this one. I think, in particular, Justin, you were probably the biggest fan of the first issue, which found a bunch of parents dealing with some weird going on at their kid's school. How do you think the second issue held up? Uh, I really enjoyed it again as well. I think what I said last time is like this comic does such a great job of simultaneously really being about the horrors of everyday parenthood, as well as touching on this supernatural horror that is really just boiling underneath this town and these characters. And this issue does the same thing. Like we get a lot of great scenes um, with our main character and his, uh, his kid that he's um, raising on his own and sort of the little like mistakes you make when you're a parent, when you're distracted and you apologize. And like, it it just felt the detail work here is so good. And so I got to give it up for, uh, for Nick for putting that together. Yeah, I think this really continues to be a very interesting book. Uh, I love the kind of like uh, almost scary things that kind of happen in this. Um, we're getting a little bit more story and like a little bit less of the kind of like ghost kind of uh, uh, stuff and more like, okay, this is the team that we're going to be kind of leading this expedition as we move on. So uh, I think this is a really great issue. The art is fantastic. Um, it's kind of a cool world and I'm excited to see where, where it goes in the art. Uh, again, I, I really like it. Uh, like we talked about with the first issue, I think this does a phenomenal job of capturing the frustration and terror of being a parent and then funneling that into actual horror things and ghosts. There are moments in here, as Pete pointed out, there's less of the supernatural activity, but the moments that were really just, made my heart beat faster were the things about being thinking you're a bad parent, being a bad parent, acting like a bad parent. Uh, All of those things felt very true to life uh, in the best way. And on top of that, you do have this really nice art and this spooky story to hook into at the same time. Um, So good stuff. One thing that that really resonated with me is um, multiple times in this issue, um, he's like doing something and his kid is like, Hey, and he looks at the clock. He's like, Oh shit, I got to go do this thing. Uh, that was very real. Yes. Vampirella, the dark powers, number one from dynamite written by Dan Adnett and art by Paul Davidson. In this issue, Vampirella is now teaming up 
with a super team made up of people from Project Superpowers, I think is what's going on here. Yeah. Um, and she's just got her crazy vampire methods and they don't like them. Yeah. They don't like them. What's going on. They don't that's like them. Uh, but, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Pete. I was just going to say that that's a cool idea, right? It's like put the person who doesn't do well on a team on a team. You know what I mean? Because there is this thing of like, oh, this is my arch enemy and they keep coming back to haunt me. And it's like, well, you know, if you took care of business the first time, it wouldn't keep going. So like having Vampirella uh, unleashed on these bad guys is very fun. Uh, You know, she likes her work. She's very good at it. And uh, so, yeah, it's kind of fun to see her not trying to fit in, but being on this team and how they're going to kind of deal with her. Let me ask you, what is the team that you would be put on? That would be the biggest mismatch, and I'm t- it can be like a uh, Cub Scout trip leader. Like, mm. what's the team that would be the or biggest like podcast or something like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, I would say a, a podcast with two assholes is what my answer is. <laughs> and so you'd be the mismatch by being an asshole. <laughs> or touche, or douche, as I should say. Let's move on and talk about Seven Secrets, number five from Boom Studios, written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by Danielle DiNicolo. Uh, In this, we're dealing with the fallout of the attack on all the secrets. They go to hide from their enemy, uh, and things go very, very badly, leading up potentially to finally finding out what these secrets are. Um, This series is, as usual, very well crafted by Tam Taylor. I like the anime-inspired art, or manga, I guess, inspired art by Paul, um, by Daniel DiNicolo. Uh, Just a good series through and through. Yeah, Um, Tom Taylor is a a great writer, and this is a very interesting, cool idea. Uh, In this issue, though, we kind of get this, like, um, you know, there's someone on the inside because they keep doing the wrong thing. And it's a little obvious where it's like somebody attacking us all at once. Oh, no, it's got, you know, what should we do? Oh, let's all go to the same spot. And it's like, oh, no, that's a horrible idea. But here we go. Um, but um, all that said, I really impressed with the art and the storytelling. I can't wait to see what happens next. Um, yeah, I I think the, the manga influenced art. I think it's really working, and I, I think the story really plays into that in, in a nice way. It feels like that was the intention throughout, um, which is great. And I just want to know a couple of the secrets. I don't want to be greedy. I just want to know two secrets. Yeah. Right. Because well, maybe three. In general, I don't know secrets. I, have, I keep secrets. I'm great at secrets. Whoa, but, I don't <laughs> believe that. Oh, I've kept all of your secrets, Pete. Whoa. Let's move on to talk about crossover number two from Image Comics, written by Dottie Cates, art by Jeff Shaw. In the first issue, we found out that in Denver, I believe in Colorado, a big superhero crossover from every possible superhero universe broke out. A dome appeared over Denver, locking it off. Some comic book characters were left outside, some were not. We found out different pieces of the story as we followed a comic book shop worker who's got embroiled with one of those rogue comic book characters. Find out a lot more about the state of the world in this issue, as well as having many, many teases uh, for other things going on in this world, as well as the real world. What do you think about this issue and how it picked up on the first one? I mean, it's fucked up that there's all these dead actual (laughs) comic book writers in the beginning. Yeah. They they kill Scott Snyder, Brian K. Vaughn, Robert Kirkman, 
Uh, there's somebody else. Chip Zdarsky. And do you think CNN would be yeah. leading with these names? Like, you know, all these comic book writers. Chip Zdarsky, <laughs> Scott Snyder. I, I mean, don't I did so. like the joke where they were like, uh, Brian K. Vaughn, Marvel Comics writer. And I read that first page. I was like, Marvel Comics writer. And then the next page is the comic show writer being like, Marvel Comics writer. So well played. <laughs> that was it was very funny, and you could tell that this is all sort of uh, a wink. The winks here are strong and good, um, and S- strong this, winks for strong sure. Strong winks, um, and the story, like I, it is like it's such a good concept that it's one of those premises that almost feels like it's going to break under the weight of the story. But um, Donny Case does such a great job of really striding that line. And keeping us just on the good side of like, no, this is working. These people are going to enter the dome and encounter all of your favorite superheroes, or maybe not. Um, we get the scene in the superhero prison where you see the arms of some of your yeah, some characters the, you recognize. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's I, like Batman's there, Spawn's there, Spider-Man, a bunch of others like that. It's definitely thing. Easter egg heavy. The thing, yeah. Uh, I I really thought the, the the way that they intertwine different styles of art in this book is really impressive. A lot of the shading and shadowing and coloring really is impressive. Uh, and it fits well in this story, which is really cool. Um, and then we got like a really creepy reveal at the end. I think this is very interesting. Unfortunately, I, you know, they lean a little hard on like the comic book shop person is a little out of their gourd. It's like I would just like one normal comic book shop owner just one time just one person has got their shit that you know <laughs> but uh i i really like the story the kates does good work i'm excited to see how this uh on on rails on reveals itself yeah uh good stuff across the board as you mentioned jeff shaw's art is really gorgeous as well let's move on and talk about spider-man number five from marvel written by jj abrams and henry abrams art by sarah pacelli this was a huge launch i want to say a year ago at this point something like that ages ago. um yeah, ages ago, uh, because, of course, J.J. Abrams and his son uh, behind it. Uh, unclear how it fit into Spider-Man mythology, but it was very much its own thing. Uh, and, of course, circumstances worked against it with COVID and delayed things. Um, it seems like maybe it would have been delayed a little bit anyway, but who knows. Uh, but how do you think this wrapped up? Sad. Sadly. Uh, this was, I mean, we talked about this, I think, back when the first issue came out, that seeing Peter Parker be like a distant parent and a jerk or an absent parent replicating the mistakes that he suffered from where his, like his parents died obviously. And then uncle Ben died. Uh, seems very, seemed very out of character to me. So that was a hard pill to swallow. And then to have the way this issue ends up, I was like, ah, oh. like I, I appreciate the sacrifice Peter makes. And I, I like the reveal that we get at the end here. But I was just such a it really it was just a bum me out the way uh the way it ended. Yeah, it's it's really kind of crazy and over the top. Um and it's got a little kind of like aliens meets Spider-Man kind of vibe to it. But I, I feel like uh the heart of Spider-Man is still in this story, which is nice. You know, at the end of the day, still trying to do what he can, trying to do the best that he can. Whatever a spider can. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> but it's it's very gross and uh, it's kind of scary. But uh, there's some there's some heartwarming stuff in it. You know, 
this is a, this was kind of a bummer for me. I think Sarah Sarah Pacelli's art is always great, and there's some phenomenal action sequences in here. But this is quippy, even for a Spider-Man book. Like everybody is joking all the time, even in the middle of dire circumstances, to the point where everybody kind of sounds the same. Uh, it wrapped up very quickly. Um, I don't know if it was a victim of pacing necessarily. It certainly felt like that could be part of it. Um, but after an intriguing start, I felt like this fizzled a bit at the end for me, um, even if it is worth picking up for Pacelli's art, who is always good on Spider-Man, personally. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I thought you were going to say more. American Vampire number 1976, number 1976. A lot of issues on that one. American Vampire yeah. 1976, number three, DC Comics, written by Scott Snyder, art by Raphael Albuquerque. Uh, this is continuing the storyline where Skitter Sweet and his pals are robbing an old train. Great train robbery. A little bit of a twist on that as they fight the end of the world and some other dark things go on as some of our other characters track down Dracula. Man, I love how much they're blowing out the mythology of this book. And just as always, Scott Snyder loves his details in a very good way. And Raphael Albuquerque loves details. Uh, Raphael Albuquerque just draws the hell out of a book. Yeah, the Kirky just kills it. Uh, one of my favorite artists huh. on a book. Never um, heard him called the Kirky. Uh, but yeah, I, I this was my kind of favorite. Hey, who's issue. your favorite Star Trek captain, Pete? Uh, Kurt. Uh, but <laughs> I James Kirky. Yeah, this what's is your favorite fu- thing to eat on Thanksgiving, Pete? Jerky. Uh, I was <laughs> beef jerky stuffing. Yep. Uh, no, but a really fun bit at the start. Uh, I really like that. Um, and then they had like kind of uh, what I like about this is they're having fun, but there's also some like crazy kind of ideas poking around here. The the I wrote this down. The world becomes a greenhouse, and all the buried secrets will come poking up. I thought that was a very kind of cool line in there. I mean, the art's phenomenal. The action in this issue, this issue really moves. It's got a great kind of pace to it. Uh, amazing last panel. Um, yeah, this this is a great issue. I think this book is one of the most consistently successful comic books on the stand. Like, uh, Scott uh, Snyder and the Kirky know how to really uh, just deliver the... Uh, great action, great character moves, while at the same time pushing the story forward. The um, the reveals at the end of the issue are super exciting. Um, this book is just so good. Next up, Getting It Together, number three, written from Image Comics, written by Cena Grace and Omar Spahi, art by Jenny Define and Cena Grace. Uh, continuing our story of a bunch of friends, if you will, in San Francisco, oh, mixing okay. it up romantically. Uh, we got some big band stuff uh, goes down in this issue. A lot of big band through. music, like classic 1950s yes. big band <laughs> stuff. Uh, I like the story. I'm into these characters. I like how they relate to each other. I do think the band drama is really good particular and well done. Uh, There's a lot of nuance there in terms of how the characters react to the fact that their band might be falling apart that I thought was very nicely drawn in terms of the characters. How'd you guys feel? Yeah, I, uh, it's weird, but I agree with you, Alex. I really love the band stuff. It is weird. And, and uh, I feel like that's really kind of us quirky in the Turkey. Yeah. Um, That's what I I, always call us. I, I, I don't know about that. 
But I think the art does a great job with the paneling and the pacing to kind of really give it this tone. Uh, and uh, I, I'm, I think this is kind of cool. You see texting and when, when it's done not so well in comics, but this is kind of a fun way to kind of have these text conversations. And they did a good job of trying to be creative about it, which I think is impressive. But overall, I think this story really continues to move forward in an interesting way that does a great job of getting the reader excited for more information. Pete, I thought you were going to say, you see texting? And I I honestly hate these textings. Like, why can't you just give a call or just say hello? I don't want to get a bunch of words from you. Send a letter. A letter through the mail. That's the way we used to do it in my hometown. Letters. Back in the Civil War, which I fought in. Oh, my God. Uh, anyway, good stuff. Uh, well, Next no, hold up. on. I, oh, I really like this yes. as well. Like, it is funny. We have so many um, band-based comics today. Yeah, uh, yeah. They approach it in a very different way. I said this um, back when we had these uh, the team on our show. But to me, this has some Scott Pilgrim vibes in a very good way. Like, if you like Scott Pilgrim, this feels like a updated version of that where we get to explore those same worlds in a fun, irreverent, and uh, visually interesting way. I love the way the issue ends um, with uh, the music performance and into the drug stuff. Really great. All right. Origins number two for Boob Studios, created by Arash Amel, Lee Krieger, and Joseph Oxford, script by Clay McLeod Chapman, and art by Jacob Rebelka. Uh, this is continuing a weird future story of a virus has mostly wiped everybody out, seemingly. Uh, Yeah. Uh, There is a guy who, as we find out, spoiler, but right at the top of the issue, uh, has been cloned, has been resurrected potentially a bunch of times. We find out a lot more about his past here. Um, I think our general impression of the first issue was gorgeous but confusing. Do you feel like it's more straightforward in issue two? I do. Well... I think for parts of it, yeah, we're kind of getting, we get the main characters kind of deal, which is interesting, but then it gets kind of really tripped out with what the main character is going through. But man, the art is fantastic. It really feels like this otherworldly, which is very impressive. There's some also some sweet small moments. Uh, I, yeah, it's a little like, you know, I got a little confused by the end of what's happening, but man, uh, the art and storytelling are fantastic. This does feel um, very original and cool as far as the story goes, so I'm into it. I feel like of all the books we've talked about, and maybe in a while, this feels very much tailor-made to become a feature film, and maybe mm-hmm. that's the intention of this book. Um, because I do think this this issue lays out some of the uh, factors and sort of the places where the characters are a little bit better. And we get sort of locked in on our trio who begin this journey. Um, so yeah, uh, I like this. I think this, the second issue really pushes it forward in a good way. Uh, next up King in black Namor number one from Marvel written by Kurt Busiek art by Benjamin Dewey. Uh, so right off the bat, I will say, I thought this was a great Namor story. It's Namor dealing with some issues in the present while he's flashing back to his past. So we get fun, young, shirtless Namor, uh, kind of like a little skinnier, a little smaller, dealing with what some young... Tiny. Yeah. Shirtless. Don't like make it weird, Zalvin. Like Don't make it weird. He's like a cute teen Namor. Yeah, and Alex, you were it's... saying his nipples are a little smaller. 
<laughs> what the <laughs> fuck, man? They're very hard because he's under the water. It's, yeah, it's oh cold. What? It's, it's cold uh, he's down got there. There's little nubbins going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like oh from that song God. from The Little Mermaid. Like, it's always colder and your nipples are harder under the sea. Yeah. What You've the got fuck? Those nubbins down where you're right, stubbing stop. under the sea. Stop. It's a good Namor book. I don't understand how it connects to King in Black. And this is a problem. <laughs> I mean, I, I do want to talk about this book in a second, but I love the King in Black number one. As we talked about in this very stack, I like the Venom issue. Oh, the in other, this very stack? In this very stack. The okay. other issues they've released so far have been weird. Uh, I don't know what this has to do with King of Black yet, this issue. The Union, which we reviewed last word. week, uh, also was like, here's this new concept. Uh, there's a wet dragon in here somewhere. Don't worry about it too much. Uh, and then the, I don't know if you guys read the Atlantis Attacks issue that Greg Pak wrote, which was real good, but ended with like the most red skies of red skies possible. Possible things where they're like, I wonder what's next for us. In the background, there were some dragons, and that was it. And yeah. it's just like, uh, don't label it as an event if it doesn't actually have anything to do with the event, you know? Yet, yet. They could be leading up to it. I, sure. I appreciate the fact that Marvel was like, hey, listen, we need you to tie it in. And they were like, you go fuck yourself. I'm telling the story I want to tell. And we'll put a fucking banner on the top so everybody will be happy. I think this is a good issue. Uh, Namor is usually a complete douchebag. So it's nice to see younger, less douchey version a little bit. Uh, I think there's a lot Just of cool real quick, characters. What did you think of his nipples? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to fucking answer that bullshit. Honestly, um, I'm more of a larger nippled Namor guy. Mm-hmm. Like from the beginning, I appreciate sort of the more. Uh, well, how he's grown into his nipples, right? I mean, it's a thing that as you get as he gets older, like it's part of his history. His you nipples two are the fucking. Eventually. I always like to call him. I like to call him Namor the Nub Mariner. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way they originally created Don't the character. Laugh at that. He was the Nub mm-hmm. Mariner. He wasn't even Stanley under. Stanley walked into the office one day and was like, I want a character with <laughs> rock hard nipples. I mean, that's uh, probably 100% accurate. Probably. And Steve Dicko was like, I don't know. I'll draw some fucking thing around some nipples. We'll yeah. see what happens. In the far future, um, Namor is mostly nipple. <laughs> uh, I think. I agree with you. It is weird that these stories exist under this banner, but I also think this is a good way to launch new new titles, new character mm-hmm. directions, yep. everything. So, like, I'm here for it. And I do think, well, there was nary a symbiote in this issue. Uh, they do one of the characters, the king, talks about how there's some, like, black rocks hidden underwater somewhere that probably are, like, Oh, a bunch of symbiotes or something. So eventually we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, there you go, Zal. So what are you talking you about? Yeah, no, I, I know, I know. Uh, and and also, again, apparently this will tie into King in Black number two, which will then spin back into the Namor number two book. Uh, because Namor apparently has something to do. Because here's the thing. Symbiotes, very gloopy underwater. Mm-hmm. It's their weakness. Mm-hmm. There is a point in this book where somebody offers somebody... A piece of food. They're like, you got to try this. This is really crispy. And that didn't track for me because there's not a lot of things that are very crispy underwater. Mm, that's fair. That is 100%. I will say if you were, were to eat a lobster hole, it would be crispy. Mm-hmm. That's true. Or some coral, crunch down on some coral. That might be crispy. Depends on how good your teeth are. Point retracted. 
This is a good book. Uh, Let's move on. The Vein Number 3 from Odie Press, written by Elliot Rahal and illustrated by Emily Pearson. Uh, We checked in on the first issue of this book, uh, which is kind of turning into its own sort of American vampire story. Yes. Following a group of vampire criminals throughout history, throughout important moments in American history, um, or world history, I guess, actually. Uh, Here we get them through several decades as they try to get blood, as they try to hide out. Um, I think we're big fans of the first issue. Do you think this concept is still holding up three issues in? Uh, I, I like this book. I do think this is like uh, an American vampire that's coming at it from a totally different way. It's much more focused on on the passing of time, the passage of time for vampires, which I think is fun. I like these characters. I like the action here. It's very funny that the um, back half of the issue focuses on the most gabagool, goofy-ass gangster character oh, in the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, hey, I'm Johnny Bonanno. Hey, I am fucking doing away. Uh, that part was crazy. And then he's just like, yeah, I'm going to be a fun guy. Okay, Don Gambolino. I sell blood hey. to vampires. And I didn't mention that Nobody, before. No one killed old bananas yet. Yeah, no, just call me bananas. The classic gangster Johnny name. bananas. Good stuff. What did you think about this issue, Pete? Uh, I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, it's great uh, artwork. You know, the subway stuff really made me miss New York. You know, because when you're living in New York, you can just wrap a body in a carpet and walk down the subway tunnels. No one will say shit to you. Yeah, um, Philly, they're like, "Hey, what's that? A cheese steak? Give me a bite." You're like, hey, is, you give me. You're gonna eat that whole hoagie yourself. <laughs> Uh, but but in you know, Philly, they're halfway through, and they're like, "Yo, is that a body? Like eating a body?" <laughs> I, you seem to be painting New York as some sort of like Thunderdome. When in Philadelphia, you can murder anyone at a sporting event and ever be like, "Yup, it's the purge, basically, because of our sports hey. teams are playing." Hey, take it easy, all right? With that, like you were fucking all saints over there, all right? Okay, what are you, Mr. Philly uh, now? You've lived there for four months, not even. (laughs) We got the Philadelphia Philly over here. What's going on with that? Are you friends with Gritty? Gritty, yeah. Uh, Our next door neighbor made uh, his own Gritty costume. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) No further questions. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Well, everyone in Philadelphia has to have a Gritty costume, right? They come by and check. Yeah. Uh, last but not least, Red Sonia, The Price of Blood, number one from Dynamite, written by Luke Lieberman and art by Walter Giovanni. Uh, this is starting off with Red Sonia captured in a dungeon. She flashes back, tells the story of how she got there. Typical crazy Red Sonia adventures, getting drunk, killing people. You know how it is. Uh, but how do you think this held up? Was this a new, fresh take on Red Sonia? Is it a story you want to read more of? Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, it's interesting. I am not a. I haven't read a ton of Red Sonia, and I didn't know she was this uh, sort of like partying, uh, fun loving. I thought she was sort of grim. Um, uh, so when she cuts, she goes to like a, the literal fire festival. I don't know if that was meant to be the same one that we've seen so many documentaries about, but um, definitely had that vibe. Uh, so yeah, it's it's hard to pin down exactly what the the character is from this issue anyway. Yeah, I mean, this is more of a Red Sonia who likes to murder and party, you know. Um, But I think this is, I am excited for more in this story just because I like 
her the way she fights and um like just straight up attacks anyone who kind of tries to wrong her. I think that's one of my favorite things about Red Sonia. And I'm glad that like you know, yes, there was kind of crazy shit happening in the party, but we, they didn't focus too hard on that. It was in the background, which is good. I want Red Sonia to be more about like action and story and less about like TNA. So I think that this comic does a good job with that. I liked Walter Giovanni's art in particular in this book. There's a panel in the middle yeah. where uh, Sonia kicks a guy out a window that I thought was really active and nicely staged just in terms of the angles of everything. It was very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and just across the board, the action, and the characters are very clear, which is good. The settings are very clear. Um, you know, I know that sounds like faint praise, but I thought this was a solid first issue of a red Sony book, if not necessarily a radical reinvention, say like the Vampirella book that we talked about earlier. Mm, yes. Good comparison. Thank you very much. And that is it for The Stack. If you'd like to support our show, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. Uh, we've been Comic Book Club. This is The Stack. We'll see you next time. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the facts. <laughs> <laughs>